Hi. Hello. I'm Julian. And I'm Tom. We are Team Binge. We are back to talk about episode five and six of the TV show Silo on Apple. The first one, episode five, is called Janitor's Boy, which boy is spelled B-O-I. And I believe this is an Avril Lavigne song that um, she wrote back in the 2000s that I recorded onto cassette off of the radio. That's not important, though. What is important is that this one is focused on a murder that we don't see, right? An Mm off-screen murder, and then a funeral or funerals, funerali, I think is the plural of funeral. Correct, um, yep. That we do see. And Mm -hmm. so Tom and I are here to talk about all of it and we appreciate those of you that are tuning in on your radios to listen. Tom? <laughs> Can I just say up front, oh, yeah, I, I did not believe that I was going to get an Avril Lavigne Skater Boy reference. So thank you so much for that. What's Skater Boy? Is that a, is that a, <laughs> uh, a prequel to Janitor's Boy? Because once you're a Skater Boy, your kind of career path is then to Janitor's Boy. Did I, I offend know. people? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? People have no idea. That, that's, a, that's a bit of a dated reference. Although, I think Avril's making a comeback, right? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I know, and yes, she is. She's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Tom, episode five. We're peeling back some more of the silo that is the onion. What'd you think of this episode? I, again, continue to be floored by the, the series. I think what they're doing and adding on to the mystery, how it started out all about what's outside the silo, but there's just so much nuance and so much stuff going on inside the silo. Um, that's why I kind of love this. We're getting more and more murders. We joked around about it calling murder, 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 but murder, I think murder, at this murder. point we're on our third murder. It's, it's been fun, man. I'm very much digging the show. What do you think? Um, I don't want to talk about a show that Will Patton is not in. So I am <laughs> fine star. with ending the podcast here. And then <laughs> actually we have to get until... We have to get to the point where she gets the note about his death, mm-hmm. and then we'll end the podcast, <laughs> and when season two of Outer Range comes out, I will be back to talk about. Actually, he was smothered in that one. Ooh, spoiler. Mm, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I don't want to- He was smothered with candy. With candy and owls, dead owls. <laughs> uh, pillows made from the feathers of dead owls. Go watch Outer Range, people. You'll figure it out. All right. Let's jump into this. I did enjoy this episode. I do enjoy, even though I've read the book, Tom, I have no idea what's going on in terms of where they're leading us, but I do appreciate a weird show that we're discovering a world here that is not our own. It's well acted. There's nothing in this show that is so heavy on like CGI that you Mm -hmm. feel like a TV show wouldn't have the budget that it looks weird. So like most of this, other than the water cave thing, everything Mm -hmm. else has looked great. So acting's great. Visually, it looks great. Whoever's doing the music is on par. And once again, it's a Graham Yost show. So it's well-written and and well done. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you're right. We've got a lot of murders. Juliet is reading the George file. And she's, she starts this by like pontificating and wondering, she knows everything in this file. Why did uh, Sheriff Holston leave this for her? What's the significance? Mm-hmm. And then I know you paused because there were words on the TV screen. <laughs> and you, while you're not a reader in real life, Tom, if something <laughs> is put on a TV screen that allows you to read it, you dive right in. Tom, let's uncover that a little bit. Why is that, Tom? 
That's a good good question. I don't know. Maybe I mean I've I've read a book on a Kindle before and didn't really like the experience because I felt like it just strained my eyes. But if all books are like paragraphs long and allow me to solve a mystery, then maybe I'd read more. Let me ask you this. If I put a video camera on my shoulder and I just flip through like to kill a mockingbird <laughs> a page at a time and then I put it on YouTube, do you think you could consume a book in that way? Would that be a better way for you? No, I still I would need you to read it to me. Okay, done. <laughs> done. <laughs> I don't know if To Kill a Mockingbird is in that vein where anyone can do it without copyright. Oh, it's a free property. Yeah, Are you yeah. sure? I don't sure. Know it's yeah, it's enough. 50 years. Okay, well... That and I'll read you Jingle Bells, Tom. Congratulations. <laughs> Actually, I think Jingle Bells you have to pay money for. Anyways, don't sue us. All right, Tom. Dive into George's file. You were reading it. I know you were. So, yeah, there's there's a couple bits. We obviously get in this episode and the next a lot of mention of the watch, um, some back and forth conversation about that. So that was kind of interesting to see this start to be prominent right away. But there's also a mention of our Gloria Hildebrandt, which at first I did not know who that was. But after some sleuthing, figured out that that is Fertility Lady. Okay. So I'm my assumption is we're going to get more from Gloria. I don't know what the context of uh, why she was in George's file at this point, because I don't think there was much on it, but it de- definitely prominently featured her name. So okay. we'll see what comes of that. For some reason, was under the impression she was doing the interviewing that was that was being typed out in this file. But the way you just said it, it implied that maybe George mentioned her name, or the interview that's happening in this file is it. I think they flash Marn's name and then mm-hmm. Gloria Hildebrandt. So is it a Marn's interview that's being? I don't know, dictated, and then Gloria Hildebrand's name is mentioned. Is that right? Yeah, that's, I, I don't know. I, I didn't necessarily notate it in my notes whether they were interviewing her, and that's part of George's file, or maybe something that oh, uh, Holston okay. added to the file as like a clue. But again, she Julia makes mention that nothing here is new to her. So right. I would assume it is all still part of the, the same bit. But I've, I've got more to come on, on Gloria later on, so we'll, we'll touch that later. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Sounds romantic. All right. <laughs> the uh, really the gist of it all is that George was involved in like relic sales and relic handling. And mm-hmm. so that's what you glean from this. Uh, what we glean from the message that Juliet receives is that Marnes is dead. And I'm going to say it right here. They did Will Patton dirty. I did not like I understand cliffhangers. I don't think this was a very good cliffhanger, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And this is once again. I'm not voicing a complaint against Silo. Please don't come after me, Silotheans. <laughs> but they did Will Patton dirty, right? I couldn't agree more. Like, we, we had talked about that. Like, he stole his shotgun. He the other guy had stole a shotgun. it back. Will yeah. Patton pointed, and then he stole the shotgun back. The other guy kicked him in the groin. He stole the shotgun back. The shotgun <laughs> exchanged hands at least a dozen times in that scene. And then it ended up with Will Patton holding his hands up and you being like, okay, he didn't kill him. I feel like TV writing 101 is he should die there. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, no. And then cut to credits, guest starring Will Patton, dun-dun-dun, Dick Wolf uh, produced or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I feel like give us the like smacking him in the head and then him going unconscious kind of thing, right? And then we think he's maybe just knocked out and they're going to take him somewhere to question him. But then we find out, no, they hit him so hard he, he killed him. Like That would have been a better finish as opposed Agreed. to... Yeah, the guy just standing over him and holding the shotgun on him. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, it's going to take more than a couple of shells to put down Will Patton. All right, (laughs) guy's bulletproof, guy's shell-proof, guy's buckshot-proof. 
Yeah, I, I just, I didn't like to see him go. We knew he was guest starring, much like you are in this uh, podcast, Tom. <laughs> so I don't know if there's a correlation between Will Patton's sudden, de- sudden departure. I guess we'll wait and see. Anyways, <laughs> we are then introduced to this name, Paul Billings, who has mm-hmm. been brought up. He was supposed to be the sheriff replacement instead of Juliet, but now he has been named uh, chief deputy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Juliet even mentions, like, you know, you're you're naming this guy chief deputy before Marnes is even cold. Like, there's a cold body or whatever. Right, because um, this is her talking with Sims, the mayor, mm-hmm. and then also... I believe Billings is part of this scene. Did you recognize this actor, Tom? I haven't, but I think he's absolutely fantastic. I believe his name is, let's see, I wrote it down. Tom, uh, no. Chinat- Tom, <laughs> let me give this one a go, please. Oh, please, go please. for it. Chinaza Uche. Did Ooh, I do it? No, Chinaza. All right. Chinaza Uche. But I don't, I don't think I've recognized him from anywhere. I, I looked at his IMDb and nothing necessarily jumped out. He's but great. Man, dude, oh, he's so good in this, right? Like what, what we get in the beginning here, and this is, again, we'll get to it later, like the depth of these characters. You think Billings is just this, you know, specific place for judicial. And yeah, he's a packed guy. He knows all about um, uh, this, this pack that follows the letter of the law, but he has his nuances and he has his like, kind of not inner demons, but he's struggling himself. So I love the introduction of the character. I love that's being forced on Juliet to kind of add another layer to, to her, her mystery and what she's trying to solve. But love the guy. guy. And based on how he's been brought up by judicial as like their go-to, my assumption was going to be, I'm going to hate this guy, but Mm -hmm. I actually very much enjoy not only this actor that's playing the character, but the character itself and I'm excited to ask you some questions and dive into what we think's going on there. So yeah, the most important thing here is the mayor, played by Tim Robbins, the m- mayor pro tempe, uh, <laughs> is he pours a drink because he's like, I'm going through the old mayor's uh, booze right now. He pours two cups, offers it to everyone in the room. They all decline. Tim Robbins, I'm sure, I don't know if this is ad-libbed. I feel like he was like loving every moment of it. He shrugs and then pours the one cup into two and starts drinking. And Tom, that's my spirit animal. A guy that's just going to pour that devil because no one else wants to partake. I mean, it goes bad. If you open a bottle of liquor, it mm-hmm. goes bad in a day. So you have to that's consume true. that bottle of, that's what Lucille Bluth taught me. Anyways. <laughs> Message from Team Binge. <laughs> from Team Binge. <laughs> listen we don't binge shows guys we watch them one week at a time so guess what else anyways doesn't matter uh bernard wants to do a double funeral and his theory here or the thing he because he's he's like they call him it but really he's like propaganda guy right he's Mm -hmm. like what's the message we want to put out to the world or not the world the silo (laughs) and he's like let's make it old lovers it'll distract the people you get to see Billings, I think, in this moment, be like, well, it would have been unsanctioned. He's, like, throwing the pact in there. And Bernard mm-hmm. is like, I don't care. No one cares. Like, <laughs> uh, Which is funny coming from the mayor pro temp. They just don't see the pact as all you know, knowing and, and uh, 100% the rules. But he then throws out, and this is almost like a scene from Gladiator. He's like, we'll give him a race to the top, which... <laughs> Uh, a race to the top sounds terrible for the participants, right? That just who would vo- would you volunteer for this race to the top, Tom? 
Dude, people volunteer to do marathons. People are bananas. So yeah, if you live in a silo and you oh, a can't point. get a whole lot of uh, like exercise, this is an excuse to I don't know, race 140 flights of stairs. You make a good point. People do volunteer. <laughs> people do like tough mutters and stuff. They pay to do tough mutters. Tom, you've made an astute point. I apologize. I retract my dumb question. I, I would prefer the race to the bottom though, where they reinstall that slide. <laughs> Right to the bottom, and they spray it with that Teflon coating from Christmas Vacation, and yes. the person's just a fiery ball at the bottom. <laughs> Bernard points out, hey, we should do this stuff to pacify the masses. Once again, we're kind of seeing him as the, I don't know, the propaganda machine. He's just mm-hmm. trying to keep people from panicking. Well, and ultimately, this kind of idea comes from Marnes of like bearing them together, and Bernard kind of goes with it. And we see later that Bernard and, um, oh, sorry, not not Marnes, I meant uh, Julia. Marnes is dead, Tom. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Marnes is ghost. Marnes' is force ghost appears in the scene, and he says, This is my idea. Bury me on top of the mayor. And Bernard's like, I'm not going to bury you on top of the mayor. That's weird, but I'll bury you next to her. And then he says, The force be with you, and he disappears. There you go. I helped you. Thank you so much. Um, but like Bernard has no idea that they actually were like star-crossed lovers. Like right. he's just painting that picture. So I like that he kind of stumbles on it, and they're they're still falling back on the idea that you know they both just walked up and down the silo. They're old, so this is how they passed. But we're burying together as lovers. It's clever. And Juliet gives a couple of reactions here where she like smirks or smiles and tries to hide it. And part of me was like, oh, that's because she knows about the romance. But then I thought about it. No one knows about their romance. So to Juliet, it's kind of I think it's funny that Marnes would be someone's romantic interest, Mm -hmm. not from like a physical standpoint, because Will Patton's a catch, but from like (laughs) a personality standpoint, everyone seems to hate this guy. Because he shot all those owls and hung them on his wall. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be a lot of outer range references in this (laughs) podcast. I apologize, Tom. What I thought was also interesting in this scene is Sims goes like right at Juliet. Instead of like him and Marn's conversation being a secret one where he's like, hey, we should get rid of Juliet, send her back down to mechanical, install Billings. He brings this up to Juliet, where he's like, hey, I had a conversation with Marnes. He knew you would eventually fail. We wanted Billings. Like, he's not, I don't know. He was so upfront about this that I thought it was strange because Mm -hmm. he does seem to be keeping a lot of secrets and there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that I thought he was so, I I thought it was strange that he confronted her in this way. Did, Did you find this surprising at all? I didn't necessarily think about it from that perspective. I think he's just trying to continue to let Juliet know that he wants Billings. Billings, yes, yeah, sorry, in the in this role, and because it does kind of play his hand a little bit. The fact that he asked Marnes to put Billings in, Marnes declines, and then Marnes comes up dead the next morning. Like, there's obviously some some suspicion right there. How suspicious do you feel about Sims? Actually, that's a better conversation for later. We'll 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 get there, but. They leave, Bernard talks with Juliet, and he's like, hey, have you ever read The Pact? And she's like, dozens of times. And he's like, are you lying? She (laughs) said, dozens of times. And then he's like, you should read The Pact. (laughs) Start in the section that says you have to kiss the bootay of judicial. I find Mm -hmm. this whole pact reading and the pact being leather bound, I find all this very interesting, and I'm sure we'll go into it. But 
Um, it's fun to see the two, like Juliet trying to read this is probably like you trying to read a book that isn't projected <laughs> on a television screen. And then Billings reading it is like me who loves, who loves the written word, Tom. I can't get enough of it. That's the whole reason why I make an outline for this podcast is because I love, I love the written word. I love the written word that I've made. Is that mm. I'm also very humble. Those are the things <laughs> I would like you to know about me. We then cut from there to the funeral. And I think whoever wrote this part for Bernard, for Tim Robbins, him opening up with statistics at a funeral, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. This is weird. This is a weird take. But then it makes a lot of sense what he's doing. He's, he's trying to paint a picture of, hey, how many people knew the mayor from a certain age, six, on to now? I, I don't know. At first, I was like, oh, this is terrible. But then <laughs> once I watched it twice, I was like, oh, I understand what he's doing here. This was just great writing, I thought. Yeah, I still feel like he's a terrible public speaker because <laughs> he even, right, right, right. He even he's stumbles. He's a computer guy, Tom. He's a computer guy. <laughs> Everyone knows, and we're going to lose half our audience, computer guys, terrible public speakers. IT guys, <laughs> terrible public speakers. No, 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 no. Come on back to us, audience. That was a joke. That was a joke. Come on back. Tune back in. Yeah, but he like yeah he stumbles over his words. He makes that like awkward joke about nobody can fill her shoes. Well, she actually did have rather small shoes. Like rather. just like cringeworthy stuff, which was funny. But I think it just then sets the stage for Juliet to kind of come in and just give a more impromptu, real like heart, genuinely hearted speech here. You felt like hers was better than his. You felt like she did a better job. I thought I thought it was a dirty move for him to be like. Uh, Sheriff, why don't you talk yeah. about Marnes, who you didn't know at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I liked her speech. I, I like. I mean, it was definitely uh, impromptu. She did not know that she was going to give it, and I think her message was uh, was good and well received by the audience that was there. I don't mean to go dark, Tom, but there is a part of me that, as we move into our twilight years, you and I, the idea of having to speak at these types of events. I've done some public speaking in my life. I don't like it, and part of me is like kind of looking into the future as to when I'm going to have to do these things. <laughs> and it sounds awful, by the way. It sounds real bad. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on Fiverr, and I'm going to <laughs> get someone who's like a comedian or so, like a clown maybe to come in and like fill in for me at whatever funeral I'm required to speak at. Do you think that's yeah. a good idea, Tom? You go ahead and waste your money on Fiverr. I'll just use ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> I'll feed I'll feed Jet GPT all of your like history uh, at your funeral because I will certainly outlive you, yes, and then you I will. will give I will give a speech yeah. <laughs> created by Jet GPT, <laughs> heartfelt and a little bit funny. You out you outliving me is one hundred percent a fact. <laughs> Just. Put it down. Anyways, good luck, Tom. Actually, I'm gonna leave you some directions for my for my ceremony, and you're gonna have Wait, to like a treasure map. To, no, it's gonna require some bagpipes, and oh, no. um, yeah, you're gonna have to learn the bagpipes, Tom. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, ChatGPT can do it. We have this. We have this moment where Mayor Pro Temp Bernard offers up a prayer to the founders, or like a pseudo prayer and mm -hmm. we do appreciate our good friend john who writes into the podcast uh, bringing this up just kind of the like religious aspect of it all and people living in a silo and i would relate this to what do the founders mean to these people like are they a deity in the sense that 
or is it like here in America, we have the founding fathers. Tom, have you ever said a prayer to George Washington? After you cut down, uh, let me give you some context. After you cut down that cherry tree, Tom, did you ever pray to George Washington as your dad was about to beat you with a switch that you might be spared? Has that ever happened to you? No, there's only one uh, founding father that I uh, pray to, and that's uh, John Adams when I drink his beer. <laughs> this episode, <laughs> shut it, Lionel Coogans. This episode's brought to you by John Adams. John Adams, summer ale, I don't know, made by a founding father, tastes like freedom, and I don't know, some other problematic things that we're working through as a country. But, you know, USA, go, 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 John Adams. All right, I think Tom. I got that wrong, though. It's Samuel Adams. I ruined the Dang joke. It. Oh, no. I think we could have pulled it off had you not brought up that we were wrong. Samuel Adams, the beer for patriots. Uh, I'm drinking one right now on a summer day. Tastes like freedom. Take it away, Tom. All right. Keep all that in. I'm sure we'll get some Samuel Adams money. Maybe we'll get some John Adams money from the HBO miniseries, which was great, with Paul Giamatti. Did you ever watch that one? I did not know. Oh man, it's a good it's a good miniseries. Anyways, uh, we pray to the founding fathers to forgive us for our sins. This funeral ends with a biting of fruit, and then they throw it in the grave. I I loved this in terms of because the the at the end of the funeral they pan out and we see all the trees and like you understand the significance of the trees and like people being used as fertilizer <laughs> and the importance of that. I wish there would have been a wood chipper involved. I think that really would have brought a little bit of flair to this funeral. For the fruit or for the bodies? I'm going to let the audience decide what I mean in that situation. Um, I think there's a Coen's Brothers movie that used a wood chipper pretty well. Anyways, uh, Fargo, whatever. Anyways, they bite the fruit. They throw it in. Tom, what would you think of this, uh, this ceremony? Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was fun to, like, watch. Like, it, it definitely told me that they've got plenty of food, I guess, in the silo because it seemed borderline wasteful to be biting, like, all these different fruits and just chucking them in here. But I liked, I liked the idea. And this even kind of mirrors, well, not kind of mirrors. This is direct from the opening sequence of the show, like, in the opening credits where it shows, like, an apple falling from the tree, decaying, but then another one, like, growing from it. So I like the idea of recycling, if you will. <laughs> I like the idea of recycling. Those of you that have been with us for every podcast, I got to be honest, this this is our, our silent message. We like the idea of recycling. All, every episode has led to this moment right here. Guys, recycle, reuse, and whatever the other one is, set fire. Listen, I don't, I don't like know. recycling. I like the idea of recycling. <laughs> I don't like recycling. I don't like having to separate the cans from the trash, but I like the idea of it. I like that other people do it. I like having trash cans with two colors. What? Sue me. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Listen, Tom, I didn't put it in the outline, but I would like to point out that this idea of throwing fruit into a grave is actually a old Viking ritual. And, Mm. you know, if you think of back in the day, Sometimes people were uh, assumed dead, and before they were buried, they had to do like a check because 
you know, if you buried someone who wasn't dead, that was like terrible. So what they (laughs) would do is they would put the person in the grave and then they would chuck fruit at it in order for the person, like if the person reacted, they knew they were still alive. If they just (laughs) like took the, took the uh, fruit to the head and they didn't react, they knew it was dead. But the more effective was to throw the fruit at the groin. And so <laughs> I don't know what it was in Scandinavian, but the tradition was called fruit to the fruits, which means you throw the fruit at the groin, and if the corpse reacts, that means they're still alive. So just Please tell old... me this is true. <laughs> it's true, Tom. <laughs> I hate lying to you, but it's true. Fruit to the fruits, an old Viking tradition. Anyways, wow. all right. I thought this I'm smarter was... now. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's not real, Tom. I made it up. Um, I found yeah, this. We probably looked it up, man. Every every <laughs> apple these people brought, uh, they bit into was a dead person. That's all I could think about as they mm. um, as they bit. I'm assuming you bite into the the apple and then you spit that bite into the grave if you don't like the person. That's the mm. other tradition we've spent too long on this i thought it was a cool effect i thought all the trees were were interesting uh knowing that they came from dead bodies but let's move on let's move on to hank offering to help jules and hank is the deputy that's from the <laughs> down down deep i can't believe the down deep oh, the lingo in this show he's Love not it. from the tip tip tippy top tom he's from the down 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 deep um, what's his deal? Did you is Hank sweet on Jules? What what's going on here? Why why did he? I almost feel like he's a spy. Uh, I'm suspicious really? of Hank. Yeah. Okay. To me, I think he's just he's a good friend to to Julia here. Um, where he's he was told to kind of go down there from Martha, like give her these like sweets, whatever, which he eats all, which I think is pretty funny. Um, but he's kind of the guy to reiterate that she is not alone. Whereas we find out like George seemed to be like a loner and he was by himself, which kind of maybe drove him a little bit crazy with trying to solve all this mystery. Uh, But this is just, I think, a character to help us reinforce that Juliet is not alone in the silo and she has friends because maybe they grew up together. Like he's he's from the down, down, deep, deep. So (laughs) the deep, deep. I hate it. Anyways, I think he's a bad guy. I think uh, that will prove true as we watch the rest of the show. Also, I love his hair. Those are the things that I will mm, say about him. Trent Krim level. Trent Krim level. No, not even near Trent Krim. How <laughs> dare you, good sir. Uh, Ted, Tom and I, Ted and I, Tom and I did Ted Lasso. And so you can listen to our back catalog on Ted Lasso, which is a wonderful show, but doesn't have any silos, but it does have beautiful hair. Hmm. Sandy, the deputy's assistant, comes in and talks to Juliet, and she wants her to find out Marn's murder, and she kind of points out that, hey, Judicial is going to put a patsy in front of you. They don't actually Mm -hmm. care about the truth. They just want order. So she kind of gives her this warning. There's some interesting stuff that that happens with Sandy. Like, we find out later in the episode that she's not going to stick around. 
Do you think we'll see more of her? Do you think she's going to continue? Or is this a like front end of this season and then she's gone? I still think we might get a little bit of her just because, again, when that screen flickered, when they turned the power off, she was the one that they focused on, who saw the screen kind of change to like green, lush, beautiful, and had a goofy reaction. Right. It still irks me a little bit that she never brought that up, especially with knowing that Juliet is kind of in it for her own means and is following all this mystery, why she wouldn't maybe have confided that in Juliet. But I, I'm assuming we haven't seen the last of her. Sure. So then we are with Juliet wandering around with a list of Marnes' enemies because we're trying to find out who killed the owl killer, Will Patton. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and this is, I want to bring this up, like the first person they ask on the list, I think is just kind of a nobody that kind of tells them like, hey, go ask somebody else. But this is the first time we get some of what the signs of the syndrome are, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later because I have questions about what syndrome maybe really is. But like he's kind of shaking his hands and things like that, which we kind of get with a little bit of Billings. Uh, and you actually watch Billings' reaction as he she kind of mentions that he this guy had the syndrome. You see him just kind of go deadpan, which I thought okay. was kind of cool. Okay. Yeah, I did not catch those details, but I'm not a gumshoe like you, Tom. Hmm. We have Juliet going to Patrick Kennedy's place. And she, as soon as she pulled these things out of his closet, I was like, oh, that's planted evidence. I, mm-hmm. I Listen, as a guy that's had evidence planted on him during <laughs> numerous traffic stops, um, I knew exactly what this was. Mm-hmm. And justice for Patrick Kennedy is all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the drawing that was ripped off the wall of the former mayor and then the rat poison. So very clearly trying to to frame him here. That or he's the killer. Who knows? We'll never mm-hmm. know. You know what, Patrick mm-hmm. Kennedy? Guilty. All counts. I've, I've changed my <laughs> mind. Um, although he wasn't Band of Brothers, so part of the greatest generation. Forgive him for everything. Boom. <laughs> That's what we call flip-flopping, Tom. We have... Paul Billings coming into judicial, I believe, and we mm-hmm. meet Doug Trumbull. You recognized him from the last episode as Marn's killer. I don't feel like they were trying to hide this. I feel like no. we saw him with the shotgun. We see him in this chair. But guess what, Tom? You didn't rule out Craig Trumbull, his twin. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Probably. Is this a twin show? No, we know Doug Trumbull is the killer from... They didn't hide it in the last episode, and they don't hide it in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is him, I guess, talking with Sims because he's up for being a shadow for Sims. I, I, You know, we can get into the Doug Trumbull of it all. I was a little bit confused by this stuff, but... This is just us being introduced to Marnes' killer. Yeah, well, and I think this is, again, we don't really know what to make of Billings at this point. So him going to judicial when he splits up with Juliet was kind of interesting. But again, it starts establishing this relationship. And even when uh, Sim says that he's a candidate, Doug Trumbull here, for his shadow, Billings like is kind of against it. And he's like, why? Why would you put this guy in place? So... I don't know if they've got a back background as well, Billings and, and Doug, but obviously Doug's not long for this world. I think Dougie Doug, as they call him in the silo, mm-hmm. he they mention he's part of like security. So I think Billings knows he's got like a heavy hand in yeah. terms of violent tendencies. And to your point, and maybe this is the point of this, is we are establishing that Paul Billings is a good dude, even mm-hmm. though he comes from du- judicial and he seems to be buddy buddies with Sims mm-hmm. because of his like belief in the path. He's probably as straight arrow as they come. Right. And so 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I came to the conclusion over time that I just liked Paul Billings. I feel like he is going to turn out to be on the side of good, even though he's got some stuff he's hiding. Agreed. But I still think he's going to be an ally to Juliet. We find out, and this is a conversation between Paul Billings and Juliet, because he does come in and he says, hey, guess what? I didn't go home for a tuna fish sandwich. I don't know what tuna is because no one fishes. <laughs> I went to judicial. She's like, oh, you're tattling on me already. And he's like, no, I just wanted to see where they were at on the investigation. And he talks about how judicial has friends of the silo. Now, Tom, I have always known that you have had a neck tattoo that said friends of the silo. And I don't think I realized what it meant until I watched this show. And now I'm realizing that you love this book series and you've read it several times and you got Friends of the Silo tattooed on your neck. Is that correct? Or are you just a guy that loves corn farming and silos that hold corn? No, actually, the all of those are wrong. Uh, Friends of the Silo was my favorite death metal band back in high school. Ah, Friends of the Silo. Their mm-hmm. classic uh, song, <laughs> Necromancer Corn. Yes, yes. Corn spelled with a K. Not to be confused with the band. Anyways, Friends of the Silo got sued by Corn, and now they're farmers. So I got Watch you. Watch the VH1 you. special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the music. Yeah, the music, Friends of Silo. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, but Juliet kind of says, like, okay, well, yeah, we don't refer to them as, as Friends of the Silo. She kind of refers to them as listeners. But we get the idea that... Again, there's there's spies, these listeners everywhere in the silo, and the stuff that they say and do is not admissible to like judicial and courts and all that stuff. Um, and I like this idea that right away here, Billings doesn't like it because he realizes it's not in the book. It's not something that judicial should be doing. And again, we're getting these glimpses of Billings kind of being, you know, he may be by the book, but he's he's very good at what he does. Right. The amount of times I've yelled, not of the pact uh, in my life, is <laughs> rapidly multiplying. We do find that there's the Patsy's name is Melby, which, I mean, let's arrest the guy for being named Melby, right? Yeah, right? Melby Patsy. Mm-hmm. Melby from Melbourne, they call him. <laughs> uh, Juliet realizes that uh, Patrick Kennedy was living in a different place. This all leads to her meeting with Doug Trumbull, who runs down from du- judicial. It's uh, She does something here that I didn't quite understand on the first watch, and I got to be honest, Tom, I didn't quite understand it on the second watch. <laughs> How did she know that he planted the evidence in the wrong house? Like, what? Can you explain so- this to me, or should I just continue to be dumb? Well, so I think the idea here is she knows that this is not where Patrick Kennedy is living because uh, uh, Marnes and her met up with him last time around. But Judicial does not know this, which I think is kind of odd since Judicial seems to know everything. But that Doug planted this evidence in the wrong house. So when she said that uh, she wanted the arrest warrant, then it got cussed to judicial and you see Doug Trumbull like running after this house to try to get there before she does. She then kind of confronts him. And I don't think she knows necessarily at this point that he's the killer or anything like this, but she knows there's like suspicion here. So when she kind of lays it out and then he takes off, then she kind of has her answer. Right. When she's there, like she's like, oh, I'm just casually hanging out at this place. I can't believe that. And then he takes off. She knows he's guilty. <laughs> And this leads to, I don't know if you've ever seen The French Connection, Tom, but it's known as a movie with the greatest chase scene 
ever in cinema history. <laughs> I gotta say, this foot chase up a spiraling staircase, close second to the French <laughs> connection. And foot races are awesome. Honestly, I could have done less with it, but we do get to see <laughs> Juliet thrown off a balcony. And that's where the show ends. Yeah, this is it. I do appreciate, though, that the, we, we know she has fantastic upper body strength from hanging on that rope for a very long time and then climbing back up. So I like that we get this again here where she's able to kind of hold on, break this dude's finger, and then still hold on to get help from the, the racers. It was cool. Listen, I watched Extraction 2, and uh, Thor uses two ropes to do, like, pull-ups on as he's mm. obviously recuperating from Extraction 1. And... Uh, <laughs> I would put Juliet's upper body strength on par with Thor. Extraction not, 2. Not the actor, not Chris Hemsworth, with no. Thor. Yeah, the the uh, Norse god mm-hmm. um, who started the tradition of fruits into fruits, um, <laughs> the funeral tradition. And then they would set the boat on fire. So two ways you knew the person was completely dead. See, I thought in, and maybe I'm just thinking Greek mythology, where they buried their people on their bellies, and then they threw nuts at butts. <laughs> oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, no! Sorry, oh, I, you no. confused me earlier. I'm, I'm more of a Greek mythology guy. Golly, you're always throwing those pecans around. Ah, <laughs> goodness. Good for you, Tom. You got me again. You got me again. All right. We have the foot race. She saved... We then have Doug Trumbull arriving at the janitorial closet. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. he needs to get wet wipes or, I don't know, a mop. And uh, enters Sims. And it feels like Common... uh, I love Common. Love him to death. Well, I don't want him to die, but I love Common. (laughs) It feels like Common was like, listen, give me a speech in this show and I will be on the cast. And they were like, great. Episode five, we've got something for you. And so we get a lot of common in this scene, and mm-hmm. it's wonderful, but it feels like those, um, I'm going to say, ooh, Watson computer commercials where he would talk. What, how am I struggling? Watson, IBM? No. Yeah, IBM, IBM computers? IBM yeah, like it's supposed to be the AI oh. or whatever. No, I love the introduction of this new mystery. I think we already knew there was more to Sims. So he's very much like a, a transformer, I think. Um, and like the janitors are, where he gives a speech. Like there's more to the janitors than meets the eye. I thought it was great. Um, we get a peek into that room. We don't see a lot. Uh, what I made out a little bit maybe are like film reels or canisters. So I don't know if we've got some film potentially in there. But I love this new... Uh, mystery that we get here and then common speech and then ultimately uh is this is this where he chucks him over overboard once he uh, finishes his scene yeah no he's like hey do you want to fly like a bird he's like <laughs> do you remember that I, w- I believe i can fly by are we allowed to say r kelly no mm. anyways we'll cut that out by <laughs> r something and then he sends him over the balcony and <laughs> We get, I mean, the name of the episode is Janitor's Son, and this is where we get common speech about the importance of janitors and how they see everything that's going on and, like, how his dad, I guess, was doing a job that people looked down on, but he knew all the secrets and that was important, right? Yeah, I don't I don't know what secrets that they know. Like, we obviously get at the end of episode six, like, a big reveal, and I don't know if that's supposed to be janitorial or if that's something above janitorial, but 
I, I love the line that he gives, like saying that they have the most important work in the silo, which mirrors Juliet's line saying that she has the most important job keeping the silo, you know, intact. So I would almost argue that Juliet, like physically is keeping the silo intact, but you know, maybe what janitorial is doing is like emotionally keeping the silo intact. So I love the dichotomy between the two characters. Right. The thing that is pointed out during this conversation that I want to touch on is he says to Doug, Dougie Doug, that he messed up with George Wilkins, who is the one that Juliet is trying to find out what happened to, as well as Patrick Kennedy. So is the assumption here that Doug also killed George? Yes. Yes, I think so. I think when they find out about like some of the shenanigans that George is up to, yeah, I think this kind of ties that bow that he was uh, responsible for George's death as well. And it's pretty rough that Sims is like, hey, I'm going to swear you in as my shadow. And then, <laughs> oh, look, he's flying. <laughs> Which was a rough way to go. But it sounds mm-hmm. like Dougie Doug's been murdering people. So he got his just deserts. Tom, I will point out that I was too cool for all the kids in high school, college, grad school, and uh, remedial grad school. So my best friends were the janitor and the lunch lady, (laughs) just like Michael Scott. Yes. Anyways, Juliet is then at Judicial, and the official story from... I think this is the first time we meet the judge? Yay? Nay? Right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we we meet Judge Judgerson... And she and Sims are like, well, unfortunately, Doug Trumbull took his own life. And Juliet's like, cool. That's not suspicious at all. (laughs) Well, and I I liked this scene. I like being able to finally meet and put a face to Judge Meadows. But throughout this scene, I feel like, and maybe it's a little bit more that we get of of her uh, later scenes, but the judge seems like a figurehead to me. I feel like she is really not in charge. Like every time a question is asked, she's always looking to Sims for kind of confirmation when she says something. Um, and Sims is usually the one like bringing up new ideas or confirming what Juliet is kind of saying about like future investigations or what all happened. So I'm interested to see really what the judge's authority is here or if it really is Sims pulling all the strings. I agree with you. There are some weird things going on with the judge and Sims, and so I'm glad you confirmed my suspicion. <laughs> and then we have a scene where Paul Billings and Juliet like building trust with each other, and I think we are starting to grow on Billings. Sandy, the assistant, comes in and quit. And it's interesting that she again mentions the idea of people watching because I think we've kind of gotten that sense that there's, uh, you know, not only listeners, but maybe people are actually watching what's going on and she's had enough of it. So again, I think we'll we'll see her again. So we'll, we'll see. Okay. Bernard offers Juliet any, any assistance she needs. He's like, listen, <laughs> I'm going to drink all this booze. Uh, I already offered it to you once, so I'm not going to offer it again. Uh, but you've solved several murders. You're the murder solver. Uh, We call that a Tom in my world. And um, he offers her all the assistance she needs. Mm -hmm. And again, I like the idea of then, you know, Bernard kind of coming around and now seemingly being completely on her side, like not playing any games. Like he goes from calling her a thief to now being on his side or her side and going to help her out in any way. And again, we talked about a little bit, but What's your take? Do you think Bernard is good and he's doing this for the greater good? Or is he scheming as kind of like the 
media IT propaganda guy of the silo. I think everyone outside of the janitor's closet is just like living in a world that at surface level they understand and they don't mm-hmm. understand the deeper, deeper meaning. So I think ultimately Bernard is good. Tim Robbins is doing a wonderful job. And I only wish, my only regret is that I couldn't share a drink with him. <laughs> we then have Lucas is back up there sketching the stars. Mm. And we find out, I guess, they don't know those are stars. He's just like those lights in the sky. They move in like a circular pattern. I don't know. I, as a flat earther, Tom, I did not understand this scene <laughs> at all. So please help me. Me and Kyrie, we, we don't really know what's going on in this scene. It, it is funny, like the strange different, like little bits of ignorance that these people have in the silo, like even the Pez dispenser. I get that they don't know it's a Pez dispenser, but they don't know what is on top of it. They don't know to call it a duck because ducks just don't exist. And the idea of stars not existing uh, is fascinating. But if you do look, I mean, the, the constellation that they're looking at in the stars is Cassiopeia. So it does give us a little bit of a glimpse uh, potentially where they are because Cassiopeia, assuming that that what is on the screen is a real image is only visible from the northern hemisphere so you figure that you know they could be in america or somewhere else i assume everyone's canadian in this show Mm, possibly the northern lights cassio good for you for knowing what cassiopeia is so (laughs) we have walker working on the camera And they Mm -hmm. have a discussion about, she's like, listen, not only is this a relic, it's extremely illegal. It has lenses that magnify. And so we find out in this moment that anything that magnifies is super illegal. And I found this interesting. There's a lot of interesting questions here. I think even when she makes mention of the idea that you can't magnify twice, um, Juliet says something about, oh, yeah, mom made one of these for the rabbit. So, again, we're, we're going to get some sort of backstory, I'd imagine, on this. What is a her... rabbit? What does you she, mean by she, the rabbit? I, I don't know if they were created like a, not a telescope, what, a microscope or something maybe on a rabbit? Or, I don't know, maybe they're making little rabbit uh, glasses. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Um, bifocals for a rabbit and the rabbit's eyesight is so bad they have to have two lenses listen show me that show the silo (laughs) rabbit show i'm all on it yeah um but walker bringing up the the two big mysteries of not only the powerful magnification which i'm assuming is the idea of being able to make more no one wants those rabbits to see tom no one wants (laughs) the rabbits to see then they become too powerful but she does specifically also mention the idea of no pulley systems and no elevators, which we kind of talked about, like, why does this silo not have it? And I'm assuming it is to try to keep these people, you know, from commingling. Like, they want to keep the tip toppers away from the down deepers. Like, it's it's a fascinating thing that this is brought up as one of the big mysteries. But ultimately, this episode ends with her kind of saying that she's going to, you know, use the right bait for judicial to try to kind of smoke them out a little bit. And that's where we kind of get uh, her going down deep, deep, deep to get the Pez dispenser from George's kind of old hangout. And then cue the end of the episode. I like it. I enjoyed this episode. My only regret is that Will Patton's gone. He's gone to the great apple tree in the sky where he... Hey, it happens to all guest starring people so at a certain point as a guest star of this podcast i will have to depart god i hope you become an avocado tree that would be <laughs> think, of avocado. The, think of all the guac i could make Sava avocado anyways yeah, only like the size of bowling balls 
<laughs> that leads us to episode six, The Relic. This one is opening up with a search of Doug Trumbull's place, who went flying and is no longer with us. <laughs> and we find the Pez dispenser. I gotta be honest, I feel that I'm not completely dumb, but there are some things that happened in the show that I I get a little bit confused on. But we find out that Juliet, she has planted the Pez dispenser in his living space and this mm-hmm. is going to lead i guess she's just trying to flush out who knows what and why and i don't know she's like she's disrupting things with a pez dispenser yes as pez dispensers generally do <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're known for disruptors <laughs> they're disruptors oh, man. Uh, but i have to ask this question because i feel like it is just so weird why does this pez dispenser have like this floss with like a little like tiny nut on the end of it like a like a i i don't understand what what that is because we we get even like in a flashback of them looking at the pez dispenser and it doesn't have that on there so i don't does this have significance is this supposed to be a key to unlock some ancient door i'm just i'm confused by that addition do you ever notice that i did not notice it but Based on how you just described it, is it because it's been like hung somewhere? Like we see a lot of wire tied to something and then that thing lowered into a place to hide it. And then mm-hmm. to bring it out, you pull on the wire like it, you know, like the file in the vent or the relic stuff down where George like hit it in the down, down, down <laughs> deep. Is, it's I, possible. Yeah, that, that's fair. I just think it is a goofy ad. Like, yeah, maybe if it was sent to hide at some point. But George just always kept it in his little, like, tackle box down down deep. So I don't I don't know. Maybe we'll see something. Maybe we won't. But I think it's an odd addition. You don't tie wire and nut to your uh, Pez dispensers, Tom? Mm, no, only my axe throwing knives. Nice. nice. Wait, nice. that doesn't make sense. Axe no, throwing no. knives does not make sense. No, it does, because then when you throw the axe throwing knives, you can then bring them back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that sentence. Nope, nothing wrong with that sentence, Tom. Don't correct it. We're good. We have Talking's a, hard. We have a flashback <laughs> with George, and I feel like this was the episode where we're like they are casting doubt on who George was and then mm-hmm. Juliet's relationship to him. And I don't know. George seemed like a pretty good dude. So this episode, I refuse to believe that George was a bad dude. Yeah, it's interesting. I was going to kind of ask you, like they kind of not necessarily make him a villain in this, but they make him seem like a recluse and a loner that is only doing these things and having these relationships to further his own goals. But Juliet kind of lays it on here pretty thick about him being alone and her being her only friend so it's 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 an interesting kind of new layer to george that we haven't had yet i've got no issue with george being lonely and alone and not having anything that ties him down and he can just (laughs) go explore the world at his whim because he's got no responsibility no job no kids no wife just out there living the dream you know I'm sorry. What do we? we I He's not living lost. the I dream. I got lost. What? What happened? <laughs> yeah. I just. Sorry. He was living the dream. Oh, oh yeah. No, he's dead now. Um, <laughs> he went flying. He followed that dream right off that ledge. Oh, there is a discussion here where Juliet, being a very practical person, is like, "Why do you care about these things? Like, what's their mm-hmm. importance? I mean, they're dumb and." 
like they're illegal. And I thought his response was pretty poignant. I love this response. This is very clever and well-written here, where he says, if things aren't worth risking our lives for, why do they make it a risk to our lives for having them? Yeah. Which I think is just is brilliant, because it's a very fair point, and I don't know if I really understand why judicial and why this world is trying to hide, like, hide this stuff from yeah. people, right? But they're you know, trying to make it seem like the world, you know, whatever happened pre-Silo does not exist, and they're trying to tamp that down. Yeah. Why would they hide it if it wasn't important? I thought this Mm -hmm. was a great moment. We then cut to the present and we have Paul Billings, who I think she's like reading the pact and he comes in and he's like, oh, good book, right? Wait until you get to the (laughs) end. Dude comes back after three days and um, we find out that Paul Billings is a pact whiz. Yeah. Four time winner of some sort of pact book competition, which was funny. So great. So great. They're trying to paint him out as a nerd, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I really enjoy Paula Billings. Once again, this actor does a great job. I won't attempt to say his actor name because I'll just get more emails. His his real name? (laughs) His real name, his actor name. Uh, That's how they refer to it in the biz, Tom. We have uh, this conversation with Juliet, Sims, Billings, the judge, and... She is trying to get a relic investigation. And this is, I guess, why she planted the Pez dispenser is in order to cause her to like have the authorization to do this mm-hmm. because Billings keeps bringing up like, hey, you need to turn that in. Like, that's a relic. You got to turn it in. And the loophole here is like, if she's doing some sort of investigation, she can keep these things. And then we have Sims explain to us which i don't know that we needed but i appreciate him doing it he's like hey guess what judicial knows more than you we have better (laughs) records than you you all suck we're awesome (laughs) that's what i got from sims's speech yeah because julia says like she looked in the database for this relic it doesn't show up and we find out you know which we assumed was was the fact there's a much more extensive record kept by judicial and we see it even in that room behind sims which is some sort of like red room safe that has i don't know not necessarily every relic because it seems like there's thousands of them but has a good chunk of them there in his office um and and then it brings up the idea of like this forgiveness day which i think is brilliant and clever as a way for judicial to not only get relics out of the silo but then also like take the names of everybody that gives this in so they can eventually arrest them or do whatever i thought it was, was pretty clever Oh, you think Forgiveness Day is not really Forgiveness Day. You think Forgiveness <laughs> is let's collect some info on people day and then Fact. unforgive them later. Mm-hmm. I think even uh, Kennedy mentions it a little bit later. But but this is where in the scene, the judge is being a little bit goofy where she's, I don't know, she like says she's got to leave quickly to avoid the crowd. She's taking Elka-Seltzer. She's not, not doing well. And again, I think this just maybe points a little bit more to I don't think she's being poisoned or anything, right? Like, I don't think Sims is, like, going after her. I thought poison. I thought there was something happening here, and they, like, linger on her drinking that foggy liquid. Um, To your point, maybe it was Alka-Seltzer. Maybe she had too much to drink with Bernard uh, the night before. I don't know. But, yeah, for some reason, I felt like there was something going on here that she was unwell with all the murder that's happening in the silo. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the judge is next. Yeah. You were all excited about double murder. We're at like what, three or four at this point, man, if we can get to quintuple murder, I'll be all 
Wait, I hope that means what I thought it meant. Tom, <laughs> I love the idea, and I don't know if it's at this point, where Sims is flipping through the file on Pez, and it's like it's like a 40-page file. When you mm. go to Pez's Wikipedia page, it's maybe, I don't know, a page and a half, but in the <laughs> silo, someone had to sit down at, I'm assuming a typewriter, maybe an old-school <laughs> computer, and type all this stuff out, and it just made me feel for the record keepers of the judicial and Pez dispensers. Well, it's funny, too. There's a lot of this that is like handwritten, which almost made me think some of these records that judicial is keeping is they're purposely not electronically logging in Mm. or even like typing it out. They're actually handwriting it, which I thought was was interesting. But they make mention of paper being such a valuable asset. And these are very extensive logs worth of these relic details. And again, I don't I this is, I guess, my I like the idea of relics because it's more fun for us to watch as a show. But if you're trying to tamp all this stuff down, why are you not just incinerating every relic that you find? Oh, wow. Look who's look who's all set to be the judge of the silo over here. <laughs> Old dictator Tom, ready to burn people's pezzes and watches and stuff. Goodness. I think people should have some joy in their life, Tom. So I'm against you and your judicial goons. That's what I've decided. So only Sims gets to have fun. He gets to open up his little red vault and then he just plays with all these relics by himself. <laughs> He's just, yeah, it would have been funny if he was dispensing candy from the Pez into his mouth. Like that would have been the ultimate like showing of evil is he knows what a Pez is. He knows how it works and he still has Pez candy that he can consume. That would have been a great scene. He's like, num, 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 num. Pez. Anyways. We leave there and we have, I think this is a moment where Juliet tries to get rid of Billings again and he's like, guess what? I'm with you for the day. And so mm-hmm. they then and go talk to Patrick Kennedy. I love this actor. He does a great <laughs> job. He's so good. Like his first reaction when he comes to the door, he's like, oh, F me. What, who did I kill this time? Who did I kill this time? Which <laughs> so is good. such a great line. Listen, if you've ever murdered someone and the police show up at your door, throw those vibes out. I guarantee they'll go away. <laughs> they'll be like, I don't think he really killed someone. Who would answer mm-hmm. that way? But this leads us to Regina, and I found the Regina character confusing and strange, but I'm not a cat guy, so this is not (laughs) surprising. Find out during the course of this conversation, she was involved in like relic stuff, and then also the important thing here is she calls George her boyfriend. Yeah, and again, this is we, we get a lot of mention this throughout this episode about this watch and who it was registered to, and I think that's what like one of the things that Sims confronted Juliet on earlier. But she makes mention of it. She clocks it right away when she walks in. Hey, you're wearing that watch. That was George. You must have been who he went for after he left me, kind of a thing. And I like the back and forth that they have, and like all of her like double entendre that she's kind of throwing out and just going right at her here, um, even though Billings is in the room and. You know, Billings makes a line at the end saying, oh, yeah, that lady must be crazy or whatever. But he's picking up on what's going on here. Yeah, Billings does make some, oh, this is awkward. And so he, yeah. like, tries to change the subject or say different mm-hmm. things. He's like, so do you have any relics? I, I, it was all great. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we find out that she helped procure relics for George and that he didn't mind that this isolated her from her family and that she felt used. Mm-hmm. This is cut with uh, Pez being, we, we see Sims going through documents. He's in, how do you like all the red, like biohazard signs <laughs> right. on everything in judicial? I like the idea because it just makes it seem like the these are these relics are poisonous or could or damage or hurt you. It's like way over the top. I, I liked it. Yeah, a lot of equilibrium vibes where they're mm. like, oh, this will make you feel emotion, so we have mm-hmm. to burn it. Which, when's the last time you watched Equilibrium? That movie's pretty great. Ooh, a couple years ago. It's fantastic. So much fun. It seems like based on Sims' research that George caused a lot of judicial issues, and this mm-hmm. leads to... Sims, Mayor Pro Tempe, Bernard, (laughs) going up to the sheriff's office and meeting with Juliet. And then Mm -hmm. we have this Sims trying to pin the Pez being in Trumbull's living space on Juliet like she planted it. And then it feels like, I don't know, does Bernard come to her rescue? Like, uh, What did you read in this scene, Tom? I thought, I I feel like it was too early for Sims to just go all out here and just throw all this at Juliet and not mm-hmm. really thinking that Juliet had kind of thought this through. She's she's much smarter and she's proven she's much smarter um, than they are giving her credit for because she makes mention like, hey, listen, I didn't find this evidence here. Like your boy Bernard, he, or, or sorry, your Billings. boy Billings is the one that actually found this. Which, and Billings you know, tries he to later, step in, yeah. Yeah, he feels like he was thrown under the bus here, which I don't necessarily know if that's true. He just happened to be the one that found the evidence. But Bernard kind of coming in and saying, like, listen, Trouble could have been the guy that, you know, found George initially, and he could have taken this little relic. And he just kind of ultimately mentions the idea of, you know, some of these mysteries are best left unsolved. So the idea of Sims shouldn't be continuing to push this because it's not going to lead any closer to like more order in the silo and it's you know again also kind of the same to juliet juliet should probably leave the, let this go if they want to be able to maintain order right the more i watched this scene i could not tell whether or not bernard was deliberately trying to help her or this was accidental i think ultimately he is looking out for her best interests, and I don't I know that he cares for Sims and what Sims is trying to do. He also, in a handful of scenes, he refers to Sims as Rob. Like, he gives him his first name, so meaning they have, like, more of a closer relationship sure. of not just calling him judicial guy Sims or whatever else. Like, he calls him Rob, which I think right. is interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. His title is Judicial Guy Sims. Um, <laughs> it's on his badge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways... We then have the conversation with Paul Billings where he's like, listen, I've got a wife and kid. You're putting me in danger. Like, if you're going to do these things, let me know. Mm-hmm. I understand that you're not going to be truthful with me, but let me give me a heads up when you're not going to be truthful just so I can protect myself. Mm-hmm. And then this leads to a very interesting comeback from Juliet where she's like, you shouldn't even be in a position of power because you have the syndrome. And... We talked about the signs of the syndrome, Tom, and my assumption was that it was signs of suicide. And and you brought up the poster about the signs mm-hmm. of syndrome. So, but based on this, I feel like I'm off. I don't feel like these are signs of suicide. I think you're right. I think I might be led us astray here. Like it almost seems like syndrome is just some sort of 
like sickness that you get or these people have got from living in the silo. We find out that it's not necessarily a genetic disease because uh, Paul is very concerned about it potentially passing on to his daughter, which we meet here in the next scene. Um, but yeah, I don't think it necessarily has to do with the suicide uh, part of it. So we think it is just like a, some people get this weird shaking disease, but we don't know what it leads to. Like, does it lead to death? Is this I something that um, maybe happened to Juliet's mom and brother? Is Were they syndrome cases? My my guess would be this is what happened to her brother, and that's why he had like the purple lips or mm. whatever else um, he had, and then it led to the mom committing suicide. But again, I, I feel like we're going to get a more well-rounded backstory for what happened to Juliet and, and her brother and, and mother here probably soon. I think it, we should point out like, Billings and the actor, like a lot of range in this episode in terms of mm. what he has to do. And he, he does a great job. It's fantastic. Once they go back and like you see him with his family, like, yeah, he's made mention he's got a, fa- a wife and kid. But when they start like humanizing Billings here and giving him more of a backstory and rounding out his character, it's just this is why I think this show is so fantastic with all these people stuck in this very small enclosed space they all uh, have just loads of depth in in what they're doing, why they're doing it, and I, I love the mystery that it's been created, especially with Sims too. Like we said, like he's a father, and all the stuff that he's got going on with this janitorial stuff and judicial. Like, what what is his angle? It's it's fascinating. What else is fascinating is that Juliet goes to the cafeteria and gets hit on by Lucas. <laughs> which uh, this guy's really shooting his shot. I, I, I did not, I don't know. What's Lucas? What's going on with Lucas, Tom? <laughs> I was going to ask you the same thing, man. I don't, I don't get what this guy's angle is here. Like, is, is he a listener? Did judicial or the janitorial service like throw this guy? Like the second they knew she, Juliet was going to come and take over the job. Did they throw him in here to try to kind of like establish some like, hey, mystery stuff. Cause I know Juliet's maybe about some of the mystery of the silo and he's trying to get close to her. I just feel like he's too, he's too like suave in these scenes. Like I like him. He seems like a very nice guy, but suave. the timing. I think he's awkward. I don't oh, know. Oh, he's great. He's great, man. He's got some great little uh, pickup lines, gets her to laugh. I think he's very, very clever with, with what he's kind of doing here. But I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm getting vibes from him that aren't necessarily you know, he's just in it for Juliet because why, why is he interested in Juliet? He's never heard of her. He's never seen her. Um, I don't understand why he appears at the time. Yeah. He does, he, he does feel like a plant. I agree. Mm-hmm. And well, I just go back to him being like, Oh, did I say something that could get me arrested? And he's like, Oh, are you going to put me in handcuffs? Cuffs? And then he winks <laughs> at her with both eyes as one does. It's called blinking. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't care for what's happening with Lucas. Uh, I'm suspicious of him. But I'm also suspicious that they gave him the angle that he's like trying to figure out stars. It's like mm-hmm. if he was a bad guy, he would be like, oh, don't look at the big screen. Let's focus on the pact. Read the pact with me. I don't know. Uh, I'm interested to see where Lucas goes. I hope it's out to a cleaning. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Juliet wants to quit. And this is because she has you know, come to the conclusion that George was a liar. Mm-hmm. And he had other lady friends. And she feels used. And... Um. yeah I like the conversation where it kind of recontextualizes or, or she does all of her conversations that she's had with George and that yeah George maybe not necessarily 
selfish. Well, I think he is. He's been kind of selfish and maybe using the people that have been close to him and in his life. And I like the pep talk that she ultimately gets with Martha over the radio here. At the very end, though, Martha does like look at a picture of a younger version of herself and another woman there. Is that, and I don't know if we have gotten any sort of inclination here, is that maybe a young, younger version of Judge Meadows? Have we gotten anything that her and Judge Meadows had some form of relationship early on? No, the only person we know that she knew when she was young is the former mayor. That was the only one that we have established. But, I mean, I would put her on age par with the judge, right? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Again, the the picture was difficult to kind of discern. It seemed like an actual picture and not just a drawing, so potentially a little bit older. But, uh, again, I'm sure we'll get, get more to that. Right, right. This leads to Juliet going back to Regina, asking her some of the tough questions. <laughs> like, why are you the way that you are? Yeah, and we get Regina kind of being the whole conspiratorial thing where she's got the stuff on the walls and she's like uh, Gloria before her was turning on the faucet or trying to make noise so she people couldn't the hear. turns fan on because they're mm-hmm. listening. They're always yeah. listening, Tom. Tom, I got news for you. They're listening to us right now. Yes, they are. They're in the walls. But but she makes a specific thing about, like, yeah, judicial is the one that asks the easy questions. It's the man who knows everything who comes at night. That's the one you got to be scared of. And saying that there's somebody that kept showing up in the middle of the night at her bed, telling her all the things that she had done. I mean, that that is, again, another layer of mystery. Are we supposed to think that's judicial? Is that somebody else? Janitor. I, I don't I don't think that's Sims. I feel like that might be a new character. You think it's the janitorial? It's the janitorial. They're like, hey, did you spill? Man, you're out of paper towels? Here you go. And then they leave. Ask the tough questions. Are you out of paper towels? (laughs) Yes, I am. Here's more paper expensive paper towels are? Hey, actually, paper is very expensive in this world, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what do they use for going to the bathroom? They use like the three shells technique? The left hand, Tom. The left hand. Wow. Okay. Okay. You always shake with the right. Don't Anyways, ask questions you don't want the answers to. I thought this was a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I thought this was weird where Regina's like, oh, by the way, I've got this thing hidden in this rug that's been passed down for generations. I'd love to give it to you. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I felt that Juliet earned this trust or this relic. And she, <laughs> she gives her uh, an, an Adventures in Georgia book. And when I first saw it, I was like, oh, it's a book about George? That's weird. Like, I didn't <laughs> see the Georgia of it all. And then she starts flipping through pages, and we get a big, big reveal. Yeah, I mean, it's a book of Georgia, so it is it's <laughs> dolphins. I don't know, did you want me to preface that differently? No, I love it. <laughs> it's got, yeah, it's got dolphins, it's got people kayaking, it's got whitewater rafting. I mean, it's just, it's a book of, and I think it's even specifically for kids. So it's like more colorful and exciting. Right. And it's just, you know, blowing her mind here. And, and I'm kind of with you, like Regina kind of jumps to this pretty quickly, but I think understands that she had a close relationship with George. And she makes mention that this is a family book of George. It was passed down from... Uh, his mother and his mother's aunt, like everybody in their family had 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 this book. And even when you look at the book, then there's the names are listed in it and it lists uh, Gloria, Anne, and George. So I think he mentions Anne being uh, George's mother 
and Gloria, who we know is Gloria Hildebrandt, or, or excuse me, that could potentially be Gloria Hildebrandt, that could be his aunt, the fertility lady. Mm. Because again, we, we got a mention of her from one of the papers that Juliet was kind of looking through. I wouldn't be surprised if we do get more of Gloria and having a little bit more backstory as being a member of George's family. Sure, sure. And in one of the flashbacks, it was interesting. We got like a nautical shell tattoo on George. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was cool. And I like the, you know, the idea that it came directly from this book when she's kind of looking at like the page on aquariums, I guess. And it being kind of like a mirror almost of the silo and the stairs as it's kind of stepping down. Uh, it's it's clever. And I, I like what they did. Yeah, I appreciate that this whole show has been footed by the Chambers of Commerce for Georgia. It's like, come <laughs> visit us. Don't be But this confirms that we're in the United States, right? Like we made mention one of the relics George had was uh, uh, a New York uh, Statue of Liberty kind of deal. Maybe they actually are in Georgia or they're somewhere relatively close. So uh, it's, it's definitely giving us uh, quite a bit more. Oh, I don't know. This might be the country of Georgia. I don't know. I don't know if they kayak, have dolphins, or have peach farms there. Who knows? Um, I'm leaving it open. We could be anywhere in the world or the planet of Georgia. Who knows? This is then the big reveal, which I don't know how many shows have done this. It feels like a lot. but And it feels like some that we've covered. But all of a sudden... Someone is watching Juliet discover this book on mm. a TV monitor, and there's two dudes, and one's like, we got to tell him. It's in the middle of the night. We need to tell him. And then there's just all these television screens, and dun, so dun, dun. bigger it's- world out there, and everyone's being watched. Yeah, I mean, again, very much 1899 vibes, the other show that we kind of covered, um, which was kind a lot of, fun. of covered, <laughs> fully covered, to it's, from beginning to end, there shall be no more coverage. It's a very dark and ominous show, very similar to this. So if you are enjoying this I, and you haven't watched that, I would definitely give it give it a go. But this is where we get the official reason for double the flowers, right? Like he was telling her to double the flowers because he knew Holston and we don't know how he knew but that there were cameras behind there and this would have blocked the view and maybe kept her a little bit safe. But as it's kind of cutting in and pulling the camera back into the uh, her being watched on TV, you see the flowers kind of withering and dead right next to her. So very, very well well executed here. So Juliet's smart, but she didn't pick up on, on this clue from, from Holston. She hates but flowers. <laughs> she does. It has to be said. So what do you think this is janitorial do you think this is a, another faction do you think these people are in the silo do you think they are somewhere under that underwater tunnel and are just watching this as an experiment like what is your take on on these tv screens i don't know i'm open to other silos um i'm open to the fact that these people don't look like they live in this silo uh so See, what makes you say that because i feel like one of the guys is like dressed in seemingly like a full like overalls or whatever like oh. almost looks like a janitor and the I other thought... guy's kind of wearing like dark muted tones so i feel like they are of this silo world maybe not the specific silo if we're saying that that tunnel underneath goes somewhere else but i feel like they're still part of this world and i would guess they're part of janitorial okay okay yeah i don't know for some reason i just felt like their clothes were a little bit more modern 
like one was in a tie-dye tank top, but maybe <laughs> I'm misremembering that completely. It said Bush Gore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it said uh, it said Ross Perot for president. And I was yeah. like, all right, yeah. Um, but it is it is interesting though because they also make mention of hey go wake him up and hey it's the middle of the night when we just got that kind of boogeyman story from Regina saying there's a guy that kind of comes in the night. I'm assuming these aren't the same people, right? Because why would they have to wake up this guy that seemingly like works in the night? So my, my, I don't know. I think this might still be janitorial. And then the man that kind of comes in the night is somebody else or somebody different. I, I don't know. It's just, it was a weird conversation to say, go wake him up. It's the middle of the night. No, I think it, I think it still works that the person that knows everything is part of this group. Uh, it's just where they these have guys, to, yeah. where mm-hmm. are these guys located? Are they mm-hmm. in this silo? Are they in a different silo? Are they on the surface? I mean, there are other tunnels outside of the silo that George, you know, discovered on that uh, blueprint. So I, I would, I, don't I would almost like, venture a guess. I'm sorry, I'd say I'd venture a guess that they're maybe at the the tippity tip 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 top, like they're at they're on maybe the surface level. Because when we see like um, both Allison and Holston go clean, they had to go up quite a few. So maybe like all of these guys, the TV screens, they live on the top and they are monitoring all the stuff that happens. And maybe they just, uh, they go home after the end of the day, right? They leave the silo. Like, sure. I feel like that could be an option too, because we don't know what is real out there. It's all just been seen on, on screens. Right. I could be wrong. I don't feel like they've telegraphed enough for us to know who these guys are. So I'm interested to roll into episode seven and dive into this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. If the show's smart, they'll give us like a bottle episode that doesn't give us any more of these guys. And it's just going to be about, I don't know, Sandy and the grab and go three levels down. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I think we all knew there was going to be something more outside of the silo. Uh, and I, who doesn't love a lot of TV screens being shown to us to let us know that everyone's being watched? Yeah, they seem like very good screens too, right? They were much bigger monitors, and I don't know if the computers were much different when you saw them on the bottom, but it seemed like this group's got a different set of technology than everybody else. Oh, sure. Definitely OLED or probably <laughs> uh, the 3D television where you have to wear <laughs> the glasses in your living room. That took off, right? Mm-hmm. Um no, I'm interested to see where this goes. I enjoyed these two episodes. Uh, any big predictions? Let me ask you this, Tom. Let's quickly go through this. Juliet Good, right? Juliet Good in terms mm-hmm. of yep. on the side of good. Billings on the side of good? Yeah, I think so. I think he's he's read the pact. He is a man of the pact and will do everything he can to protect it to a point. Mayor Bernard on the side of good? All right, with you, I think he's kind of just surviving in this world and he's cleverer than most. Okay. Sims, judicial, on the side of good. He's up to no good. Okay. Um, Judge Meadows, on the side of good. Uh, she needs to use the restroom. Okay. And then lastly, Marnes. Uh, Marn has done his last good. He's done his last good. That's right. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Patrick Kennedy, on the side of good or bad. I'm interested in his character and what they're going to do there. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They should just keep him because he's just a great actor and that beard is on point. Right, 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 right. 
All right. Well, we appreciate those of you that have joined us for this. We will continue to unravel the onion that is the silo. Um, <laughs> you can reach us with questions or comments. We do enjoy hearing from people. We've heard from people from Australia to uh, the great exotic Minnesota um, <laughs> and all the way to Louisiana and Texas. But um, you can reach us at teambingepodcast at gmail.com. We do appreciate you. Please rate and review us. If they're going to be nice on Apple Podcasts, you can uh, subscribe, I don't know, through any platform that you listen on. Tom, what else did I miss? Yep, follow us on the socials on Instagram or Twitter at Team Binge or Team Binge Podcast. Continue the conversation there. And, you know, I'm excited to get more closer to these episodes as they're kind of being released and to kind of theory craft with a bunch of other people out there. So, been fun, man. And I'm happy to know that this show did get a second season and that uh, it's being well received. Yep. And if we're still friends, maybe we'll talk about talking about it. So, mm. for the. <laughs> <laughs> that's a strong non-commit all right <laughs> uh, i have been julian and i've been tom till next time everybody